Hi everyone, Richard Tubb here with the very first episode of my new podcast, Tub Talk. Now, I've been toying with recording a podcast for quite some time. I have conversations with some of the really best people in the industry and more often than not, when I finish one of those awesome conversations, I often think, wow, I wish I'd have recorded that just to share some of the value of that conversation with other people. So the goal of the podcast is to capture some of the value of those conversations that I have with some of the best and most successful people within the IT industry to share with you, Um, to share ideas with you on how to be more successful, to share ideas with you on how to be more efficient and more productive with your time, really just to share the background and information of some of the most amazing people in the IT industry so that you can value from it. To that end, if there's anybody you would like to hear on the podcast, please do reach out to me, uh, richard at tublog, T-U-B-B-L-O-G.co.uk, or you can find me on the web at www.tublog.co.uk. And I'm really delighted that my first guest on Tub Talk is going to be a real heavy hitter in the IT industry, Tim Brewer from Perth, Australia. Tim has a proven record of growing IT businesses. He's a really successful entrepreneur. I think you'll enjoy my conversation with Tim. He shares a lot of insight into what it takes to be successful. Hello, everyone. I'm joined today by Tim Brewer from Evolve Leadership. How are you doing, Tim? I'm going very well, thank you. Well, it's a real pleasure to sit down with you. I've heard your name mentioned in... uh, very respectful and revered tones for, for a number of years within the MSP industry. So for, for anybody who's not aware of you, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what Evolve does. Yeah, um, well, I'll get to Evolve a little bit about my background. Uh, I um, hail from Perth, Australia, which is the west coast of uh, Australia. Um, it's a great place, very laid back city, very much like San Diego in the USA, I guess, if you're from the USA. If you're from England, a lot of people immigrate from England to Perth, so you're probably familiar with Perth as well. Um, I uh, grew up in community services, actually, and a friend of mine ran an IT company, and I was fortunate enough one day for him to invite me to become part of that, and uh, in time, ended up becoming a partner and a co-owner of the business, and ended up growing for a, for a whole series of years, um, some by, uh, you know, chance a lot we made a lot of errors along the way we learned a lot of stuff and we were really good at collaborating with other people and we weren't afraid to sit down with our competitors in our marketplace or perceived competitors we weren't really and uh, learn how to do this manage services things better this um, concept of managed services as it started coming out back in the day and uh, we grew and grew and grew and in 2010 we ended up selling to a publicly listed company at the time we had about 50 staff in AMSB um, and it was going going really well. We we're having a great time. I ended up working in that new company for three years, and then a year ago, um, finished up with them as the operations director, and spent a whole year living in the USA, um, and got to achieve two great things in the USA. One was to um, offload all of my knowledge within the industry, both speaking and and assisting in a number of different companies around the US um, in the managed services space. And the second thing I did is wanted to explore what I wanted life to look like for me going in the next stage of life. I'm um, just 36, 37 years of age, so I'm still fairly young and have a whole work life ahead of me. And I worked out both things while I was in the US. So this year, I'm back in Perth. Um, I am part of the Evolve Leadership Group, one of the directors. I work that company with a a best friend of mine. Um, We do consulting and speaking in the managed service space, but we also focus on 
governance and strategy uh, and innovation, uh, executive leader performance and business realisation on what, where you want your business to go and what you do once you get there. And so they're the things we focus on helping businesses all over the globe, both here in the USA um, and in Australia, across a diverse set of industries. Um, but on top of that as well, I have this portfolio of other interests, like companies like Destrector, which is a great client experience platform, a customizable, you know, innovative platform in the managed services space. I'm also a director on a um, marketing company in Perth, Western Australia. I'm the director of a managed services firm here in the US. Um, I still get to speak a lot at different places like Chartec and others when I get the chance. Um, speaking is one of those things, as you know, that comes by invite, so I try not to take it for granted. So it is a great privilege. Um, and then I've got a couple of other conversations going around the place as well. Um, so I end up with a portfolio of great people that I'm working with. Um, doing great things, making a great difference. And I think that's where I'll find my next uh, number of years of work happiness. So, so you're going through the post-MSP stage, uh, yes. like myself, I guess. And you, you said you took that year <laughs> in America to, um, uh, yep. to to find where you're going. How did you arrive at the decision over what you wanted to do? And now clearly you've got a lot of things going on. Mm. How did you arrive? Uh, how did you get the focus to decide, yeah, these are the things that I want to do going forward? Well, um I'm not sure if you and I have talked about this before, but I know I talk about it a bit when I speak. I'm like a really simple, forgetful guy. And um, so I tend to boil things down just into a couple of points. So what I discovered about myself last year, or what I wanted to discover in, in just a handful of points, what what is it that makes me happy and and leaves me intrinsically motivated when I'm doing what I'm doing? And so I discovered, um, you know, three things about myself. And the first was I'm a better owner than I am an employee. Doesn't mean I have to own the whole business, not at all. But it means I need to have a builder's view when I'm when I'm doing what I'm doing, whether it be not for profit or for profit. And so that helped me understand kind of, you know, I didn't want to go back into a C-level executive position for someone else. I wanted to be part of building something cool and building something unique. And um, the second thing is that... Um, I don't have to be the main leader. You know, I, I try and be a great, uh, as I call you, the ultimate business wingman. You know, I just try and be a great business wingman for other people and a great partner in business. And look, I, I'm constantly learning, so I'm not saying I've got that right yet. But um, if I get that right, I love coming along other people alongside other people and help making them successful. And then um, my experience consulting is that, you, you know, consulting to... 18 or 20 people all at the same time it's a lot of stuff to have on your plate so I'm really looking you know I kind of came to the view that I should be have a small handful of things that I'm involved in that I can be a great business wingman with the people involved and um, I guess I'm on that journey to find that that small handful of items and I'd suggest probably this year I'm I'm at kind of have that that list of things sorted out and then um in my spare time, I still get to consult having the consulting business. That tends to be focused pretty much around the managed services space. Companies 50 to 400 staff, which ended up being kind of my my sweet spot, I guess, in industry. So similar to you, still get to spend time in businesses, in MSPs, looking at um, you know the spaces that are still there, problems that are still there to solve, 
and the opportunity that they have moving in the future. So, so give an example of what a, a typical engagement would look like for you. I'm going to guess that it's a long-term engagement and quite a, a deep engagement as well. What uh, type of companies, um, uh, what's the problems they approach you with and what do they need help with typically? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, we tend, you know, that I've done a number of different engagements over time. We tend to do high energy, short burst engagements that then last over a period. And so that normally looks like um, one to or two to four days on site. And basically, I'm really good at asking a ton of questions and turning over a ton of rocks and working out quickly what's running really well and being able to give that feedback hey, you're running best in class, best in industry in this area of the business. And then working out which area of the business needs focus and needs energy and helping the owner of that business work out how to apply that energy in that spot. So what we've worked out actually, we have like a a SWAT slash boot camp slash strategy session um, that we run. It's two days long with two consultants, me and another one of the Evolve Leadership Consultants. And we tend to go in and in that time work with all of the staff. We do a lot of pre-work. It's probably, let's call it due diligence. And we've had people comment that it, it feels like you're purchasing my business, you know, the depth of due diligence we do before doing that engagement. We survey the staff, we survey their board, and then work with the staff and the leadership team and the board to put down a, a strategy plan for a, a set period of time, normally one to five years. And then once that's laid down, then we work at helping them stay accountable to achieving those goals. And we've just found that that works best. Um, that said, um, as you pointed out, we've got plenty of stuff on our plate so we normally spend a lot of time working with people to make sure that that is a right fit for them and there's a lot of other great consultants around and other great training programs and if someone comes to us and says hey we've got a real need in the area of sales for example and it's they've got great planning as an organization have a great board and great operational excellence but just need help with sales we much prefer putting them in touch with someone that to fill that specialization rather than just trying to plug every hole in an organization we try and learn to stick to our knitting, do what we do really well, and then um, where we can add a great amount of value, we will uh, consider an engagement. So, yeah, I take the same uh, same attitude myself. You know, stick to what you're good at, mm. deliver a very high quality service there, and surround yourself with uh, people who are great a lot people. better at you than doing <laughs> yeah, the, stuff. It, it's interesting. Most of the um, I've observed most of the very very successful people uh, in our industry and in any industry for that matter. Um, yourself included, seem to have the ability to say no frequently to opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about you know, saying no to really good stuff that comes along just because you think, I'm going to get pulled in too many directions at once? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, let's, I mean, for most of the people listening to the podcast, I'm guessing they're still running a managed service business. So for... You know, we don't want to get too caught up in the, the handful of us that are post-MSP. Yeah. Um, and it's the same as saying no to a client. And it is really difficult when you've got someone saying, hey, I want to pay you to look after our equipment um, to realise that they might not be a good fit for your business. And that really starts, in my view, theoretically, understanding your client's preferences. And um, not all revenue is good revenue. And... So my strategy at saying no to people is to actually not say no. And the way we do that is actually not offering them services 
until we convince that they're the right fit for us as a client. And by that I mean, and I was actually on the phone to um, my business partner, Glenn. He actually sits on the board of another massive managed service company out of Las Vegas. And the, the CEO, called, CEO called me the other day and said, hey, Tim, I've been thinking about this whole um, marketplace fit that was part of their strategy document. You know, what does that mean? What are the key things that I need to consider in working out what clients are right for us and what clients we should avoid? Because he might know that, but if he can't articulate that, then all the salespeople are going to keep selling to the wrong people. I said, well, let's look at a few things that, that might matter. And we basically came down to this. Um, you know, if someone does not pay their bills on time, in fact, you look in your finance system as a current client and they're always 60 days late at paying. That's their average. You're terribly late payers and you're always following them up, wasting a horrendous amount of time doing that. Um, you need to work out, well, what, what things or what attributes would cause us to see that coming before they're a client of ours? So sometimes it's just simple questions like asking, you know, what's your methodology for paying your bills? And then we've all had clients that we did a job the other day. They paid us before we left their site that afternoon. It's like, oh my goodness, we have seven-day terms. They can pay us in seven days. They're like, no, we like paying when a job's done. I'm like, okay, that client we're keeping. <laughs> I'm happy to have a deeper engagement with them. The other clients, um, not so much. You know, respect. And if respect is a big thing for you as a company, working out whether or not someone is respectful, are they respectful to their staff, their team. We've all had MSP clients that call our staff up and abuse them. And um, my argument should be, well, maybe respect is something that you don't want as a client. So the long story short is we have a bunch of those criteria and we do we go through a series of interviews before we even uh, offer services. And you notice my language, we offer services to our clients. My encouragement would be to MSPs that you're not on the market, you're not in a shop, you don't sell products on a, on a wall, you're a, a consultant service, you're a professional service. And good professional service companies offer services to the clients that will value their service and value them. And until you've established that a client is that client, my suggestion is you should not offer them services. And in that respect, you never really have to say no then. All you're ever going to have is someone saying, hey, this isn't the right timing for us to engage you or we've chosen to engage somewhere else. And I'd rather have that happen than offer services to everyone in sundry and be in a position where we can't meet the level of promise we want to make to all those people and end up with a bad, bad brand. At the end of the day, your brand is your brand. If you accept a client and they have rubbish equipment and it all fails when you've taken the job, your brand is on the line. If they've got some radical expectation or decide to go and badmouth you to everyone because you're disrespectful, then that's your brand on the line. And so you've got to be got to do the right thing by your staff and the right thing by your shareholders and the right thing by your other clients by accepting people that that fit your brand that's wonderfully put wonderfully put in terms of um uh, the other things that are on your plate so you mentioned mm. desk director earlier yeah. now i've had a wonderful conversation um, for the podcast with uh, phil claxton amazing um, guy could have, great could guy. have talked to him uh, your partner there could have talked to phil all day to be mm-hmm. honest um, how does desk director fit into the, how much time do you spend with desk director and what are your aspirations for desk director as a company? Yeah, so um, me personally, I spend about a, a day a week on average, I guess, over the year on desk director. It's in bursts, such as now. We're at a conference for an entire week. 
Um, so when I was leaving Anatel, I got a call from uh, Warwick, who's, well, let's call him the inventor, I guess, of Desk Directory, who's running a great MSP uh, in Auckland, New Zealand. And they had this product they had developed to in, improve the client experience. Um, it really grated on them that with all the tools that they had that were focused on, say, tickets or time or invoices, like their PSA tools or RMM tools that were very uh, focused on the device or the service, they didn't really have a tool that was focused on, on the people, on the people that they looked after and people paychecks and people accept contracts. And so they went about trying to solve that problem. So Desk is focused on, on client experience, full stop. Um, they do that through a number of different methods, and I'll leave that up to the team and, and deskdirector.com if you want to go and have a look at that. Um, but our aspirations for that product is just to create a whole new way of helping managed service companies be unique, provide an outstanding client experience, and uh, increase the value that they provide to their clients. And in doing so, win more business, be more efficient, and increase the client loyalty from their clients. So um, that's our aspirations. Uh, Phil is uh, the main guy there at, at Desk Director. He's doing an amazing job. He's just a complete legend. He comes out of the managed, in fact, all three of us come out of the managed services industry. Uh, we just, you know what, we're just having great fun continuing learning, um, getting to learn a lot about software, marketing, strategic business development, um, all these things that I didn't do a huge amount of back in the managed services days. Um, and we're just having a great time doing it. And it keeps me... Um, you know, if I've been honest with you, it keeps me in touch with the managed services community. So even though it's not my, my full-time thing, it is a real privilege to come out, meet people at conferences again, and geek out on IT services and managed services. And it keeps me in touch with that. And I have a real, you obviously been in the, the industry for years, have a great affinity with that. And I'm really glad that there's something that I continue to keep that connection with, with uh, such a great industry so while you're out there at conferences, mm. talking to MSPs and working with MSPs, what are the prevailing trends or challenges that you're seeing for MSPs and uh, where are people going with their business? What are the things that people should be aware of? You know, that's a fantastic question. Um, people ask me that all the time and I, I kind of have this view, so I'm going to caveat my response by saying I think that my knowledge has a half-life and I think it's about nine months. So. Um, technically, now I've been out of the managed service industry running a company, I may have no current knowledge left, but I'll happy to share what I notice, you know. Um, I definitely think that um, the shift to cloud's a real interesting one. And the result and impact of dealing with, uh, you know, if you, let, let's talk about the, you know, our journey as IT service providers growing up. We used to sell product. And everyone, there was, you'd make 50% off a PC and you'd sell a piece of hardware and we call that product transactions. You receive one invoice from your supplier, so say Ingram Micro, you receive one invoice from your supplier and you, you send uh, a device out to a client and you check that you got the right invoice and pay the right amount and that there's the right margin and you reconcile. And that's how we all grew up, you know, heavy into the hardware. And then one day we woke up and went, you know what, it's not really going to work. We need to find a better way of making money margins we're reducing so we got into services and we started providing block hours or project work and we had and then started providing labor and over time there was no systems to run we were running tickets in microsoft outlook and 
We're just having a heck of a time and didn't know what average alley rate was and all these things. And then one day, you know, someone came out with a ticketing platform that had time integrated. And we're all like, oh my goodness, this is groundbreaking stuff. Because the complexity that had, uh, this, all this complexity came with that shift going from product to labor and then to managed services. And what I think my experience at, at Anatel taught me running all of our data center infrastructure and online services group um, is that going from labor, you know, if you thought that was complex, offering a fixed fee for a variable amount of time, um, wait until you deal with bundled cloud services where you're getting multiple transaction uh, line items come through for every offering. You know, let's talk about a hosted hosted machine and you're getting charged per hour, per per amount of processing, per hour, per amount of storage, per hour, per amount of memory on a flexible basis. And then you have to repackage and, and bill that to someone. This is now no longer two points of variation in, in labor or one point of variation in product. You have hundreds and hundreds of different items that need to be rated, re-rated and invoiced and billed out to the client. And then if you bundle that as a fixed price service, it's a, it's a huge amount of complexity. And so I think there's a number of things like that under the surface that are getting far more complex. And no one's really come out and solved the level of complexity that we're needing solved to scale. Now I might have noticed that because we're in a, a very big company and we had a $12 million uh, you know, cloud services business. But you know, I meet people all the time and ask them that question. They're like, oh, I'm trying to track it in a spreadsheet or I just can't track it. I just look at the end of the day and see in and out and make sure I'm making enough margin. And I think that as we see the managed services tools improve, we're going to see them give us greater capacity to manage those complex transactions, maybe like the insurance industry do today. They're a lot more mature in that area. Um, So I think that's definitely one of the areas to watch is the complexity created by cloud. Um, And I've not seen anything, you know, ultra compelling yet that has solved that problem. Um, So that's probably... Um, that's probably the biggest area. And other people are solving the problem. That's the challenge. The, big, the really big providers are spending millions and millions of dollars on, on high-end transaction billing systems, um, or re-rating rating systems like telcos traditionally do. And so the scary thing for me is, look, my hope is that someone in our industry solves that problem so that you know one, two-person MSPs can still um, sell those services and sell them easily without all the admin overhead and, and pain. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the big areas I see as a need. It's a huge challenge, isn't it? If you mm. if you look at Microsoft with Office 365 partners for for many years, sort of bemoan the fact that uh, Microsoft sold it directly. Mm-hmm. And you know, my feeling is that a lot of the reason Microsoft did that was not to carve up their partner program at all. They didn't really want to do that. It was the complexity of uh, allowing. Um, End users, or sorry, uh, MSPs to bill uh, mm-hmm. directly. So if a big company like Microsoft struggle with it, you can imagine, uh, you know, smaller MSPs where they're going to find it a challenge. Yeah. Well, look, there's actually three parts, and since you know we're on on record, I think it's worth mentioning all three parts. And maybe there's someone out there that's going. You're solving this problem currently. You have the billing complexity, which is called about transactional billing or services billing. So we have we had product, then we went to labor, and now we're in this land of services. And services billing got to be sold. But there's two other really important things that happen around that billing. And it's provisioning and deprovisioning or spinning up and spinning down services. 
And same thing, you know, Office 365 guys are logging into the portal. They're creating the service, configuring the servers and the Active Directory. And, um, you know, in the ideal environment, we don't go and order from Ingram over the phone anymore a piece of hardware. We transact with their online systems, possibly automatically if using a quoting platform. Um, But if you're trying to go from a quote to a sales order and your sales order has some hardware, some labor services and some cloud services on it, and you're wanting all that to be purchased or provisioned automatically, or maybe some other services be deprovisioned or use accounts increased, um, to get that automated is really where we need to end up so that guys aren't sitting there, you know, manually configuring, uh, you know, Azure infrastructure or manually configuring Office 365. That stuff should spin up immediately following a quote going out. And that's the challenge, is to be able to create that level of um, simplicity for our industry. And I think we can get to that. And the platforms that are out there can can see past their own um, their own platform and understand that there's these bigger problems that they have to work together in industry to solve. No one player is going to go and solve that. You know, it's about collaborating and working across the industry to do that. Because if we don't there'll be other industries that out-innovate us and we need to make sure we protect all these guys out there running managed services firms. You know, We need to make sure that is a long and successful uh, industry to be in. And so, yeah, some serious innovation that needs to go on and around that. Absolutely. So we're approaching the end of our time together. Mm. So um, uh, for you, what's next on the horizon? What exciting projects are you working on? Um, what exciting projects? I've got... Um, so I've got you're right. I've got a number of different things on it the go at the moment. Um, I've got a really interesting project in Perth, Australia, in a company called Red Meats Blue. Um, the uh, CEO of that company, I sit on their board and I'm an investor there. And the CEO of that company has just written a book called Building Great Brands, and he's basically in the process of uh, working on taking his uh, project-based branding agency to a managed services model. So I think that's really fascinating, like applying our learnings from this industry into another industry like marketing. Um, so I'm having a great time there. That, that's been really fun. And I'm also working, I can't, I can't disclose who with, but there's also another really incredible um, education-focused software-as-a-service company that I'm working with somewhere in the world. And um, they're just doing amazing things. And you know the greatest, uh, you know, we talked before about what we learn, taking a break and reflecting on what we've done to date. Um, the first thing is you've got to work with great, you know, if I'm leaving everyone with some thoughts at the end of this webinar would be um, work with great people. And I think in this particular education startup, there's some really great people. And I, I really am very, um, have become a lot more acutely aware that if you choose to work with the wrong people, life gets unhappy fast. And the second thing is do stuff that is intrinsically motivating. And I just think that education as, a, as an entire industry, not just, not just as we know it in schools in the Western communities, but think about education across the globe for people that aren't as fortunate as you or I that even went to a secondary school or a tertiary college um, or a, a university or a college. But um, I think that education is ripe for innovation and for reimagining. And I'm seeing some of that happen in the discussions that I'm, I'm having in that industry. And that just, I find that so motivating. And so 
probably one of the coolest things in, in that pool of things that I'm doing is around that education space and I can't wait to see what happens there. So for all of you out there listening, make sure that you work with people that uh, don't make your tummy turn and that you love working with and do stuff that intrinsically motivates you. And if you do that, you'll wake up every morning and you'll be able to work way into the night um, doing what you do if you can keep that intrinsic motivation high. Fantastic advice. Tim, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. We've only just scratched the surface of things and you've shared so much wisdom in a really short period of time. Really appreciate it. If there are any good people out there um, who want to get in touch with you, perhaps about speaking or consultancy, how mm-hmm. would they reach out to you? Uh, yeah, I do have so many different ways. The easiest way to do it is to go to www.timbrewer.com.au and uh, there's a spot there to get in contact with me. Um, I spend my time on so many different things that it, it's hard to give you a... I know that will get through to me, and that will get through to me efficiently. Um, and look, I, I try and spend time where I can to catch up with people at least once. Um, I love learning from other industries and, and from people in industries, so that would be the best way. Timbrewer.com.au Fantastic. Well, Tim, really appreciate your time and I hope we can uh, have you come back and talk about some of those other subjects that we uh, just touched upon in the future. Richard, look, it's been a great catching up. Um, so good to finally meet you in person after so many Skype calls and um, people talking about you in industry. It's a really great privilege. Thank you for your time today. You're very kind. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Tim. See ya. Thanks for joining me again on Tub Talk. And if you enjoyed this episode, perhaps you could do me a favour and share it with your peers and colleagues, anyone you think would get value from it. And don't forget, you can find me at www.tublog.co.uk, on Twitter at Tublog, and on Google+. If you've got any feedback on the podcast or anyone you particularly like to hear from in the MSP community, just let me know.